Yeah, I mean, I think it's a domino effect. We saw a lot of the large software companies and like you say, companies like DoorDash that thrive during the pandemic. They will teach business classes on the pandemic and the stock prices during the pandemic and how much these companies hired during the pandemic. And now they're cutting, you know, by the thousand, uh, you know, as an industry, by the tens of thousand. And I, I don't know exactly where this stops. I interview economists and business professors about this, like you say, at least a couple of times a week for my job. And none of them see an end to this. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, December 2nd installment of the Silicon Insider in a very wet Silicon Valley, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman, technology reporter for NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. And our host, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, quite a week. Interesting. The the FTX scandal is continuing to play out and get worse and worse as the days go by. I guess um, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, I guess they call him SBF now. That's a simple way of doing it. SBF did a, a he did testimony in front of Congress today, which was interesting because apparently half of the of the congressmen on the panel were investors in cyber currency and only i think one of them actually admitted it yeah i mean this has been a bizarre week you know i mean it was just recently that ftx proved to be yet another um you know uh shell game for cryptocurrency uh this time to the tune of what 32 billion dollars uh you know we've talked about this before this is a crypto exchange that had its own hedge fund, which is seems like a yeah. really bad idea. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a young guy who had his ownership of this thing was worth apparently like nearly $16 billion. And just the stunning pace that this stuff can just disappear and yeah. then be exposed as the fraud. I mean, let's call it what it is that it is. I mean, putting its value in tokens. And, you know, this was something that I feel bad for the investors uh, we're seeing once again, as we often do in the crypto world, the um, the ripple effects hit other companies, other exchanges, yes. um, and we're seeing job losses. We're seeing some of these things go bankrupt again, which take the investors down with it. The only good thing is that for whatever reason, and, and I know you and I have tried to be part of that reason, not a whole lot of people are getting involved in this. So this isn't hurting our overall economy, but the crypto economy, which is sort of its own niche is just over and over again proving to be um not a solid investment to put it very mildly now a lot of people who got burned on this were very very wealthy and having known a lot of wealthy people they usually surround themselves with people who handle their investments and those people are you know expected to do their due diligence be conservative you know i've i've become insanely wealthy. I don't want to lose it. I want to leave it for my great-great-grandchildren. Yet this whole thing seems to be investments based on talking to another famous rich person saying, yeah, you got to get into this. Get in here fast. Yeah, to an extent. But I think there is a sexiness to crypto that other investments don't have. You know, there have been super rich people who got burned, say, in the last real estate fall. And that doesn't make as much news because, oh, well, it's housing. Uh, you know, think back to the year 2000. 
and all those dot-com ads. There were a lot of rich people who lost, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars in that. But we didn't look at the individuals or the advertisers necessarily because it was just this huge broad-based thing that turned out to be ahead of itself. Um, with crypto, you know, you're looking at the Tom Brady's and the Steph Curry's and, you know, all these ads. Once again, we had a lot of Super Bowl ads and there's just such a speculative sexiness to it that I think it takes on a world of its own. But again, you're right in saying, where is the protection? Where is the backstop? Where is the uh, due diligence in any of this? Um, all we have is another sort of tulip mania and a whole lot of money that was lost. You know, not to dwell too much on your most recent big story, but is this another example of people saying, oh, I want to be in the hottest new thing, which is crypto. And we've got this weird guy who fits the part perfectly, just like Elizabeth Holmes fulfilled every VC's dream of a, you know, blonde entrepreneur dressed in a black turtleneck. This guy, bushy, unkempt hair, weird, you know, speed snorting girlfriend, can't make eye, eye contact, you know, and, and sleeps on the floor. He was like perfect if you wanted to, to find the archetypical cryptocurrency guy to go right. into. Right. But should you invest in someone who's purposely offshore, surrounded by fellow young, inexperienced people living it up in a, you know, <laughs> a mansion in the Bahamas or something? Dollar house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just screams irresponsibility which we expect of our young people who just dress in t-shirts and shorts all the time. But we don't we don't expect that in our fund managers, do we? I mean, at what yeah, point do we stop letting these people get away with this? Yeah, I mean, you can see, oh, he's got a new box. It's really interesting. He's got a new game. It's really interesting. But he's running an exchange and a fund. You know, that you want those guys to be like, well-dressed sharks with you know harvard harvard degrees harvard mbas not this guy right and i yet, mean what if what if you went to the the latest i don't know meeting of of ibm or or the invest the american funds and the person who stepped out on stage was you know half your age in bermuda shorts you'd think uh-oh you know that that's a red flag but for some reason in the crypto world we allow for inexperience and sloppiness um, and, and I just don't understand why that becomes cool. Uh, and yet every single time it's led to a lot of money lost. And he's been on his Mia Culpa tour this week, showing up being interviewed by George Stephanopoulos, who also invested, who has invested in crypto. Um, a lot of conflict of interest. And yet the, the crowd, the peanut gallery watching these interviews burst into applause well, that was when, the uh, when he right. says, "Oh, I had a bad month," and everybody goes, "Ooh, yeah!" Like right, and that was the the Andrew Ross Sorkin one. I watched that one on on CNBC, um, and I, I I'm baffled because is he a folk hero now for screaming? I, I mean, again, I, I don't quite understand why he's not in custody uh, yeah. or at least being charged with something, having gone through a very similar fraud trial where hundreds of millions of dollars in investment money was lost. Now, would you say that the crypto guys are lying as, as Theranos did about their, you know, you brought up a box, they, they were lying about the box. 
Um, I don't quite know because I'm not educated enough to know that if you're, you know, basing your wealth on worthless tokens, is that technically a, is that technically fraud? I, I don't even know, but it seems like it is, and it feels like it should be illegal. Yeah, well, several things. One of them is he literally said, I screwed up. I sat there watching him do this, stricken, thinking, shut up. Where's your lawyers? But right. he has said, my lawyers told me not to talk, but I'm going to do so anyway. It's almost like a little kid, you know, saying, oh, I did a boo-boo, but won't you forgive me because, you know, I'm a sympathetic character. I, I, I did bad. But this is criminal intent by for all by all indications he's asking for forgiveness um but every every time he opens his mouth he's giving more evidence to to the prosecutors when they finally go after him he well, had he's, right yeah. i mean the, the thing he did before he stopped listening to his lawyers was to lose 32 billion dollars so his track record recently is not good that's true and what he said Oh, you know, I really didn't do any of that risk management stuff. You're running an exchange. That's isn't that a basic job requirement is taking other people's money and doing a little bit of risk management to figure, you know, how risky is this investment? The whole thing seems insane. And he blames his girlfriend who he set up in her operation, shifted all the money over to there. I mean, this this seems like a 19, like a 16-year-old kid. How old is he? He's he's older than he looks. He's 30, I think. Yeah. Well, and his his parents are well educated and all that. They're Stanford professors. Look, I I don't know. I the part of the sheen that hangs over crypto is such that we cut these guys a break and these companies a break and they go out of business or they lose hundreds of millions of dollars in crypto to thieves or just out to the ether. And so there's this sort of sheen of, hey, buyer beware. If you invest in this, you're going into the Wild West. And that's true to an extent. And that's why I tell people, don't do this. That's my advice uh, as a grumpy tech reporter. Right. Right. But, um, But in addition to that advice that people don't listen to, there needs to be some responsibility to the Sam Bankman Freeds of the world. And, and, you know, look, we have a sentencing coming up for uh, the other part of Theranos for uh, Sonny Balwani, um, and that is fraud, but also conspiracy to commit fraud. And if you have an exchange and your girlfriend is running a hedge fund that's connected to that exchange, I, I can't believe we're not going to see charges of, again, conspiracy to commit fraud against these investors. I mean, one would assume so. He's publicly said, oh, I screwed up. There was no person who was chiefly in charge of a positional risk of customers. And I didn't ever try to commit fraud on anyone. I mean, that's the lack of intent defense, I guess. Perhaps, but it's also, I mean, how do you lose that much money that quickly yeah. um, when you're backed by worthless tokens? There's There's something there. Again, I'm not... Sure. educated enough to know, but it just, you know, come on, there's got to be something here. And I wonder if and when he does come back home, back to the Bay Area, if he's not going to be taken into custody or at least charged with something. Yeah, a lot of people are asking, why isn't he being extradited? Why hasn't he come, you know, come back to the States and, and face the, you know, face justice? 
um, and I hate to think that the lesson of all this is going to be, if you give enough money to politicians, I mean, he almost acts like he thinks he's invulnerable right now, which suggests that he thinks that he's going to be protected by powerful people. I wonder, and and right, these interviews that he's given that we've seen the last couple of days um, are, are not only clearly not great ideas, but right, they do show someone who is you know, working through a process as opposed to someone who has committed a grievous crime. And uh, and I that surprises me that he's allowed to do this. Okay, some uh, folks have commented. Uh, Mark Cuban uh, has said, I don't know why this guy isn't in jail for a long time, which is interesting. Uh, Jim Cramer, who remember he, he called him the next J.P. Morgan, has now won't say his name and calls him a total con artist. I think that might influence how you look upon Kramer's judgment in the future. <laughs> I know he's CNBC, so you can't really talk about him. Um, it's just amazing. Um, what do you think? I mean, you think there's going to be an indictment? You think that he's going to get off and, and be able to stay in Jamaica? I mean... There's so many powers to powers that be are commenting on this one way or another, but there's a lot of people, very powerful people, have a big stake in not being publicly humiliated by this guy or getting revenge on this guy. Right. I mean, and again, I, I don't know. I, I think, um, you know, some of the when some of the investment money started coming out in the Theranos trial and the patient that suffered and all that or before the trial that's when you started to get these these criminal charges and i wonder if just like you say if some of these investors start making noise um it, it will be hard i think to not charge at least svf with something uh and you know with fraud uh, there's just so much money that was lost so quickly and i have a feeling that some of the regulators are waiting for this moment in crypto because they don't trust it but they know that people aren't listening to them. Um, but if you take someone who lost so much investor money and do put him in jail, at least it gives something of a message. And, and regulators have been unable or just impotent to, when it comes to sending a message about crypto so far. Um, and you did. You're right. You had some major investors, uh, not to mention these spokespeople. And it just looks really, really bad and really, really unsafe. And if they don't do anything about it and they're silent about it, what do they say the next time one of these exchanges pops up and says, hey, we have $30 billion in assets. Uh, don't ask us to prove it. You know, what yeah. happens eventually? Well, you know, harkening back to Elizabeth Holmes' trial again, you were there, you said some of the most moving moments were not rich people losing money. I mean, they're not, they're, that's their problem. It's, it was the regular people that were injured by this. And I've not heard from regular folks who just who believed in uh, FTX and said this is the next big thing, and they put their retirement money in there or something like that. Yeah, and I wonder if people were even able to do that. I don't know that the average investor was able to invest in FTX because it was privately held. I mean, I think SBF owned like fifty percent of it. There was yeah. VC money in it. We're finding out, you know, Sequoia was quite heavily involved. Some other, uh, you know, Silicon Valley VCs were involved. Um, but the average investor, I'm not sure. The average investor was able to buy and sell Bitcoin on it, let's say. 
yeah. which which took quite a hit uh, in the the aftermath of the collapse. But I don't know. I don't know how much this trickles down to the average everyday investor who could get up on the stand and say, my college fund was in FTX. I don't know if that was possible. Their college fund could have been in Bitcoin, which, yeah. you know, don't. Well, bringing up colleges, what do, what do, what do hedge funds do? They, they take money from pension funds at universities and nonprofits and all that, invest it in very safe investments in like factories in the Midwest, which provide a constant return. That has to be completely disrupted right now. Right. I mean, the appetite for risk, the appetite for risk is even higher in the Bitcoin world. I mean, when I found out that FTX had a hedge fund, I was like, well, that's several layers of craziness right there. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I I just hope that we didn't see, you know, the so-called widow and orphan funds or college, uh, you know, uh, funds and and, uh, just these things that, that are legacy investments or anything like that put into this hedge fund. But I don't know that that's all been unwound yet. Um, yeah. The fall was so immediate and steep and and fast. Um, but you're right. I mean, if if there are some pension funds or those sort of things that somehow got involved in this, that gets ugly. Certainly uglier than wealthy VC funds that are just looking for the next big thing. Did did you kind of notice a coincidence that right after this happened, the federal government came out and said, "Well, we're about to introduce a safe cybersecurrency. We have it waiting in the wings here." I mean. There was some PR guy in DC that went, "Ooh, this is our moment to make this announcement." Yeah, I mean, to an extent, we've seen the Biden administration do this a couple of times, where it was either a website walking you through crypto and the risks of crypto, and and that's that's a decent small step. But um, I wouldn't recommend issuing, I mean, another coin. I mean, that's that's not what we need right now. We need advice and we need you know real discipline and scholarship i mean we need yeah. knowledge about what you're doing when you put a single dollar into a bank that's backed by the fdic versus a single dollar into a crypto lending exchange or a coin that's backed by literally nothing you know, I, I would settle for my paper money being backed with some kind of blockchain security or something I go that someday, far. someday, and that's where I think that the banks are are experimenting and and dabbing yeah. a little here and there. But but again, that's banks. That's that's stuff that's backed up. Um, you know, before our money, our hard earned cash goes on some blockchain. I want to know that it's going to be around yeah. on the I other. Want FD, I want FDC standing, FDIC standing behind me every yeah. time I use that exactly. stuff. <laughs> okay, well, my neighborhood had a visitor, um, Elon Musk, apparently made a visit to Apple Computer. Interesting. Apple, I should say, now that it's, right. I, I go back so far, I remember when it was just a picture of an Apple on a, on, a, on, a, on a manual. Anyway, Elon came down. The big to-do we've all been hearing about is that Apple was threatening Twitter that it would drop the app if they didn't return to status quo ante with, you know, the the sensors and all of that. And all of a sudden, Elon shows up, he gets a tour of the Apple mothership and he and he and, and Tim Cook are buddy buddies. And, they, and Tim Cook says, no, we never even considered that. Do you believe any of that? Um, I don't believe anything Musk said about this. Um, yeah. And I think this was Apple taking the high road when it could have gone to battle uh, with Twitter and Musk. 
I don't believe that Apple considered dropping Twitter from the App Store. I mean, come on. Apple still has Truth Social in its App Store. So Twitter is nothing compared to that. I don't believe, uh, as Musk said, that Apple is pulling its ads from Twitter. We know that Apple is still... Well, advertising. All those tweets were going out. Apple was still one of the biggest advertisers in Twitter. So Musk, I think, lied there. Um, Musk saying... I guess Apple doesn't believe in free speech. I don't even know what that means. So I think Musk is just making stuff up there. He's trying to rile his base, whatever that is these days. He's trying to rile the right wing. I think he was lying the whole time. And I think Apple, instead of coming out and slamming Twitter or pulling ads or whatever, said, hey, let's take a walk around the, the little pond and, you know, sort of get our our uh, <laughs> our mantras in order. Yeah, and I think that was a very mature thing to do, a very high road thing to do yeah. and i think it saved musk some embarrassment but i cringed as i saw those tweets from musk attacking yeah. apple on things that were just not true now you know big corporations do you think somewhere down in the bowels of apple a marketing guy or an ad placement guy or an app guy called his counterpart at twitter and said you know get your get your business straight or you're going to pay i don't i don't think the call would have gone through because i think musk would have fired that person on the other end so there was no one to pick up the call i think this <laughs> is an elon musk run show and i think he's running it as chaotically as he runs everything uh, everything and um and and so i think he's losing credibility uh and he's losing credibility uh, by a lot of people on twitter he's losing credibility by i think a lot of other executives who are calling him out um, and the concern is that he runs himself so thin that he starts to lose credibility among Tesla investors. I don't think that's happened yet. Um, and that's why Tesla is still a $600 billion company. But um, I I'm surprised that Musk is just swinging away so much. Um, I mean, this is an ad-based company, and he's attacking the companies that would advertise on Twitter, yeah. calling them out for free speech, which thanks to Elon Musk is an idea that's been bastardized over the last couple of years. Uh, to the point where no one really knows what he's talking about. Now, the EU has come out and threatened him in the last couple of days. The EU does not mess around yeah. with social media, as we know. Uh, this is a an EU that has tried to shut down Facebook, uh, that has tried to close these. So, yeah, I, I figured it was a matter of time before the EU made its sure. presence known. And they don't mess around. They'll just say, we're banning Twitter. Goodbye. See you later. Yeah. Having spent enough time in Europe, I know that they hate large American companies, large American technology successful companies, because they don't have those companies. And so, I mean, they add an extra little spin on anything they do against Apple or Facebook or Twitter or anybody else. So we'll see. Oftentimes, that's just a negotiating position, too. Right. But there could be some fines. And and again, the EU will, will slap a company with a fine uh, for existing. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's that's the next battleground. Now, talking about embarrassing, and this one is kind of disturbing to me, Apple removing that communications app from the Chinese market, from Chinese phones during these protests. That seems to me worrisome, that Apple is a little bit too, it rolls over a little too much for the Chinese government. Well, I, it's the latest company to do so. I mean, we, we've we really seen that as sort of a dividing line. Yeah, we saw the NBA do it. That's for sure. Yeah, we saw and, Hollywood do it. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, remember, you know, Yahoo got in trouble for this. Uh, Google was in the, you know, it, this is something that it's it's a it's a, a double edged sword, really. You have the largest growing consumer market that spends a ton of money on technology, but you have these human rights violations and now these protests. And um, I, I, we just haven't seen a company really come out and say, here's what we're doing. And I think you see the whole thing summed up with the popularity of TikTok. It's a gigantic consumer success. Um, and yet there is concern about where the data goes because it's Chinese owned. And this is going to be an issue that's going to be around for a long time. And it's one of the very few things, by the way, that seem to unite the left and the right, their concern over uh, what businesses like Apple are doing in China and what companies like TikTok are doing in America. Yeah. And, and I sense that Apple was a little embarrassed by what it did because the, the, the app is called AirDrop and you can talk phone to phone. And um iPhone to iPhone, and you mainly used by Chinese protesters. Apple didn't announce it was dropping it. It quietly made it disappear in China, suggesting they know they 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 feel culpable in what they're doing, and they're embarrassed by it. Yeah, I mean, this is a company that prides itself, like every company talks about, on openness. But again, um, dealing with the Chinese government is, you know, just sort of the opposite of that. So I I don't know how a company can successfully navigate that. We've seen certainly Apple do a lot of business there. We've seen Tesla do a lot of business there. We've seen the social media companies do a lot of business there, but only up to a point. And I think the combination of what these companies are going to do in China and what TikTok does here is going to be a huge issue. And I think it's going to be really something that government regulators take on over the next year. I think it's going to be a theme uh, both politically and economically, I don't see how you get around that. No, I don't either. Okay, one final thing, because we're going to run out of time. Layoffs the, the is now becoming the perennial weekly story. Okay, according to Layoff FYI, uh, 898 tech companies now have had layoffs for a total of 143,000 people laid off. And I suspect about 40,000 of those are in the Bay Area, in Silicon Valley. We just had DoorDash uh, lay off, what, 1,300 people? Now, that one doesn't surprise me. I mean, that was a company that was just built for, you know, a pandemic lockdown. Uh, you know, I, I, a few times I went out to actually pick up food in restaurants during the, during the, the lockdown. It was just me and 12 DoorDash drivers, right. you know, waiting around for their hot, you know, their hot container to race off into the night into the night and you knew that couldn't be sustained but we're starting to see smaller companies now biotech companies it's becoming pretty widespread around here yeah i mean i think it's a domino effect we saw a lot of the large software companies and like you say companies like doordash that thrive during the pandemic they will teach business classes on the pandemic and the stock prices during the pandemic and how much these companies hired during the pandemic and now they're cutting you know, by the thousand, uh, you know, as an industry, by the tens of thousand. And I, I don't know exactly where this stops. I interview economists and business professors about this, like you say, at least a couple of times a week for my job. And none of them see an end to this. Um, and, and there's forces against this. And it's not just coming out of the pandemic and the fact that we're going back to the restaurants and movies. But, you know, the Federal Reserve raising interest rates make it harder to borrow money for these companies. And so as part of the fight against inflation, they're shedding workers and that slows the economy down 
And so they're almost fighting the Fed too. And so when one stops, maybe the other stops, but it's going to be a while until we get out of this sort of cycle of, hey, let's fight inflation, but that costs us a lot of jobs. And, um, and you know, when these workers don't have not only their salaries, but their stock options, that pulls a break on the economy. And that yeah, seems to be what the Fed ultimately wants. Predictions that real estate's going to start really collapsing fast in these wealthy high-tech areas. I mean, if people do have to move away, and that's what we saw in 2008, because they can't afford the mortgage payments, yes, we will see that. Um, if they could just hunker down and say, okay, I'll go to work for a smaller company. Because let's let's face it, Mike, a lot of the VCs on Sand Hill Road are still funding startups. And those startups, really? by it's definition, are taking that money and hiring people. It's a different vibe than if you're on the Meta campus with like eight cafeterias and a volleyball court and all that. But it's still a job. And so if out of the wreckage of all these layoffs comes some startups and some strength. We've seen that before here. And that's sort of how Silicon Valley rebuilds itself. Always, always during recession is a great time to invest. It's a great time to be in a company because you get more stock. You're part of the future. Giant campuses of like Meta are already fading into the past. I mean, they're, they're the biggest companies in the world right now, but 20 years from now, they won't be important because they'll be replaced by those startups that are starting right now. And fi you know, finally, from Bloomberg, we have the predictable headline, big tech has failed to live up to its promise. Uh, they can just put that on their computer and hit that button every about every eight years. You know, productivity hasn't improved. Well, actually, it did. They were complaining about that in 2000, you know, but it hasn't given us the miracle world that we were expecting. It's failed. Okay. You know, we'll save that one. I'll bring that one up about a year from now and see what, see how well it worked. I okay, think if we want a better world. It's not going to come via technology. We need yeah. to get along better. Yes. Yeah. It's interpersonal. Okay. That's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Have a great weekend. Stay dry, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.